Okay, we're back. And then now you want to jump, uh, you want to finish up with Costa Rica. Yes, you have to hear about Costa Rica. We're not finished um, up. That's our next phase anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, this trip, so I booked this trip and again, like there's something about divine timing and forces that are beyond our control that are really working to help us like guide us towards the best possible version of us, I believe. Um, and this is nine months into your sobriety after you made that, that, um, this is not, no, was this nine months into your sobriety when you went there? Yeah, I was nine months sober. I think, um, just like the day before that I went to Costa Rica. Gotcha. Um, that trip, I went to use plant medicine during that trip. And it's something I'd heard about about five years before, but it took hold of me and it was kind of in my peripheral awareness of something that I wanted to try. Um, the book that I mentioned in the realm of hungry ghosts by Dr. Gabor Mate, um, that book was my lifeline. Right. And Gabor Mate, like I soaked up everything that he preached and he talked about childhood trauma being the common denominator of addiction. So we, th- you know, like I said, I could blame my genetics. I could blame myself. I can blame whatever. Um, but he believed childhood trauma, unhealed childhood trauma was the basis for every like addiction. And the more that I read his stuff, the more it was like, oh yes, that's, that rings true. That rings true. And I knew there was some work that I had to do in that area. Um, but he was also a fan of plant medicine. And so he was the one that kind of gave me that idea that plant medicine could help me here. Um, I was interested in plant medicine from a spiritual perspective as well. And then here's this doctor who's a world renowned doctor in addiction specialty. And he's saying that ayahuasca can help to heal your, your addictive behaviors. And so I'm like, okay, this is a no brainer. Like I want to go. Um, before I went, this was probably the greatest challenge. One of the greatest challenges of my life, because before you went, you had to be one month sober. Um, if you were, um, if you smoked weed, you had to be two weeks free from smoking weed. Okay. You so had- was this a, a meeting? This was some kind of convention or something that you went to? It was a retreat. <clears throat> oh, a retreat. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was a retreat in Costa Rica at a place called Solterra and they would hold these ayahuasca ceremonies with, they'd bring in shamans from Peru. They'd bring the ayahuasca um, from Peru and they would have these facilitators in ceremony. And you'd have like 20 people in a ceremony um, on this gorgeous location, this really secluded, beautiful space. And, and everyone was there for different reasons, but the common denominator is like, you know, we want to heal. There's, there was something we wanted to heal. So I was there primarily for addiction and, um, and to 
again, dive deeper into my spirituality. Other people were there from different traumas, whether they had um, sexual traumas, um, lots of childhood stuff, right? Um, lots of family, um, lots of family traumas. I can't even. But it was all about healing. It was all about healing. Yeah, yeah. It was it was beautiful, but it was the it was hands down like the scariest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Hands down, easily. So before I even got there, before I even could get to that point where I'm drinking this ayahuasca, which terrified the shit out of me because of what I'd heard before. Um, they told you you had to be one month sober from booze, two weeks sober from weed, uh, two weeks no meat, no dairy, no spicy food less oils and salts in your diet and no sex before going. So there were all these things that said, Oh, and no caffeine. Wow. Yes. Wow. So I'm like, wow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm, I'm nine months sober from booze and you're asking me to do all these other things. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what the hell am I going to do on the plane? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like it was, that was a challenge. That was a big, big, that was a huge undertaking. That's a huge list. Yes. 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 And I was, um, you know, I wanted to accomplish those things. I wanted to do everything on that list because it was written there for a reason. And, you know, they gave you once, once I paid for my retreat and booked my flight and all this other stuff, they gave you that information. And it was like, that was for the, your benefit, right? If you're going to drink ayahuasca, it was like, clean out your body, clean out your minds, like do these things. They suggested having um, a small meditation practice or a yoga practice beforehand. Like there was a lot going into that, that was recommended for you. And it cost me a lot of money. It was a big, big deal. So it cost me money. It cost me time away from work. It cost me traveling to a different continent. Like it was a big undertaking. That was the first time that I flew sober alone. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of things right there. That's a lot. That's huge, huge challenge, (laughs) but I'm go big or go home. So I see that. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to do it and I was, I was signed up and I was ready to go. I'd had a call with the therapist beforehand. Um, he would have a 20 minute intake call with every single person that signed up and he would either, you know, give you the green light or give you a yellow light and have to have a follow-up call. Or if you had, um, some things that would really take you off the list from drinking ayahuasca. So if you had certain um, mental illnesses, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, psychosis, like there were things that are a no-no for drinking ayahuasca. And again, this is, this is just right for me, right? I'm not a professional. <laughs> right. right. I'm not a professional in this, but just from somebody who's, uh, who's tried it. And, and I remembered filling out that medical form and I was totally honest. And it was like, have you had suicidal thoughts? Yes. Have you ever been on antidepressants? Yes. Have you, um, had addiction? Yes. You know, there was a lot of things that I was like, okay, yep, here's me. And the therapist called me and, and asked me a couple questions and, you know, why do you want to go on this journey? 
Um, and I was very honest, very transparent about all of it. And he said, okay, like he needed to have um, another follow-up call. And I said, okay, great. Um, and so we did. And the follow-up call, I got to tell him, you know, those, those suicidal thoughts that I, that I experienced in my life, that was, I, I do not currently have those. Um, I'm no longer an antidepressants. Um, and, and all of these things like you could still be on antidepressants. You could, you could, um, it, it wasn't like that was, no, you can't go. It was just, let's work together to make it as safe as possible because this is a, this is a big undertaking. And I was fortunate. Like I said, I was fortunate where I got to the point, ironically, it was like, the reason that I gave up my antidepressants, oh, you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> the reason I gave up my antidepressants was because I was drinking and using antidepressants at the same time. And <laughs> my doctor, right at the very beginning, when she prescribed them to me, when I was like 22, she said, you can't drink while you're, you, while you're taking these. And I said, you know, I had like fear and trepidation and I'm like, okay, yeah. Okay. I think I can do that. So I think it was like two weeks maybe that I took antidepressants and I didn't drink anything. Um, and then like after two weeks, like I remember sitting with my boyfriend at the time and we were sitting at like a Krabby Joe's, like just a restaurant, one of those chain restaurants. And we ordered two pints and I remember drinking that pint and just being like, I'm so silly, but I remember drinking that pint and being like, okay, I feel fine. I feel fine. This is good. This, I feel like normal, like nice and buzz. Like I usually do when I drink. I'm like, what was that doctor talking about? There's no problem mixing my antidepressants with my beer. Like, <laughs> right. she's crazy. <laughs> like, what is she talking about? I can do this. This is great. Um, and so I think I took it a bit easy for, again, like a few weeks while I was adjusting to my antidepressants. But then, you know, after a little while, it's like, no, I'm using both in full force. I'm taking the antidepressants as just as prescribed. And I'm drinking my beer as I prescribe for myself, which is as much as I need to keep me going. Right. And, and that was my duality. That was what I worked with. That's how I got through. And I drink caffeine during the day and it's all good. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I'm 22. Life is fine. Um, so yeah, after a few years of that, it became, it got to the point where it was like, are you going to take the antidepressants or are you going to drink the beer? And I'm like, no question. I, I choose booze. No so question. you gave up the antidepressants then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or the booze. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I, so I gave up the antidepressants and there really wasn't much difference. Cause I'm, you know, I'm already anyway, that's, I'm sure that a lot of listeners can relate to that because yeah. Yeah. So um, you're getting ready to drink this ayahuasca. Yes. And are you in Costa Rica now? Yeah. So February, he gave me the okay to go. And um, uh, like was said, that 2020? February 2020 was the trip. Yep. February 2nd, I was on a plane. February 3rd, I was there. I was in the ceremony. I was doing it. And uh, it, so again, coming up to that New Year's Eve right before I had in my head that maybe I would drink a glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. You know, it just seemed like that's something that I could do is drink a glass of champagne. 
And the therapist, before telling me that I was okay to go on the trip, he said to me, can you stay sober until you go on the trip? And so just that, just that one question, because his, the obligation was one month of sobriety. And so I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm drinking ayahuasca February 3rd. That means I could have a drink December 31st on New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> right. But I'm looking at the calendar and I'm like, there's no reason I can't have a glass of champagne. Um, but this therapist is on a phone call with me before the New Year's Eve. And he's saying, can you stay sober all the way up until this trip? And, I, and before I could think about it, like my answer is yes, because I just wanted him to say, like, you're you're approved to go. And so I said, yeah. <laughs> and then I hang up the phone with him and I'm like, shit, I told him I was going to stay sober. That means I don't get my glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. Oh, damn it. Okay, well, I guess I'll be a woman of my word and I'll keep that promise and I'll, I'll stay sober for the trip. I like and that phone call. Yeah, yeah. But it was fucking hard. It was so hard because <clears throat> like I said, suddenly I'm without booze, which is my favorite best friend medicine you know, for, since I was 16. And now you're telling me no caffeine, no sex, no other drugs, no meat, no dare. Like it was just crazy, but I right. did it. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, the list is huge. And then the challenge right in front of you. I mean, it even screwed up your plans, your new year's was, plans. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was amazing. But, but I'm so, yeah. And in retrospect, right. I'm so glad that that happened the way it did because now my sober date is August 19th, 2019. And I have a sober twin, Dan. Um, and Dan actually lives really close to me. Dan lives about 40, 45 minutes away from me. Um, and we have, we share that sober date and it's just, it's really, it's a special relationship that I wouldn't have if I had drank that glass of champagne on New Year's Eve. Right. Which right. is kind of cool. I just, I think about that and I think that's, you know, and I have another sober twin if I did drink that glass of champagne, but I really love Dan and Dan and I just, it's he's, a cool, he's a cool guy. Cause I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. 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 He's great. And I think he drives trucks too, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. 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 He would drop by my work um, and he'd send me a text if he was going through the city and he would say, Amy, I'm coming by and, and do you want to have coffee? And, and he'd come to my work and we'd just have a hug and say hello. And it was really, really cool. nice. Yeah. So um, how did the ayahuasca go? <laughs> Oh, it went in every way like that I could not imagine. It was bliss. It was ecstasy. It was terror. It was the scariest thing I'd ever, the scariest like experience I've ever had. And then the most beautiful experience I've ever had. So it was, it was big. It was, uh, it was everything. It was everything. And I, and I won't, you know, I won't go on for two hours about it. Cause I can. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you did that. But, you did that challenge. Um, yeah. You, you I found out more about yourself during that trip. 
Drifter, I found out everything about myself. Everything. I found out everything that I never knew I was looking for. It was all there. In my second night of ceremony, the experience that I had was beyond anything that I thought I could experience on this planet. Like, no word of a lie. I, I drank this plant medicine and I remember sitting there underneath the stars, looking at one of the facilitators and I like, you know, and stars are in my eyes. And, and he, as a facilitator, you also drink plant medicine. Um, but, but, um, usually a smaller dose than what the guests will have. Um, or if not a smaller dose, then, then something like they're, they're practiced in drinking it. And so anyways, the dosage doesn't matter. But my point is there I am in this total like other world experience. And I'm looking at him and just being like, is this for real? Because like, this is all the healing that I, I had been looking for my entire life. And I'm sitting here and all I had to go through <laughs> was depression and alcoholism and right. being in the closet from those things. Um, my sexuality, that was something that I battled as well. My identity in, in my sexual or- orientation, that was, a, that was one of the root causes of my, um, my drinking and my, and my depression as well. It was like, you know, all these things that I covered up and all of that, I'm sitting there in Costa Rica under the stars with this plant medicine and suddenly all of it was worth it. It was like the light, the light was shining through me and on me and around me. And it was all, it was unbelievable. Um, so that was my second medicine ceremony. And I did eight medicine ceremonies in total. By the time I got home, February 18th was the last day in Costa Rica. And I came home, my grandma was very sick and she was dying. And when I got home, I was a completely new person. Um, and I, I, in the best way, in the best way, it was like everything I wanted had, had paved the way for me to be this person now. Um, and you had direction and focus where you wanted to go. Yes. I, like I said, there was, that memory of wanting the champagne on New Year's Eve was, was totally just a memory now because I had never been more sure that if sobriety had brought me to this place where I got to go to Costa Rica to help heal myself even further and to dive that deep, um, like sobriety was the gateway to, to more healing. And so yeah, I was completely sure that the nine months was going to turn into 10 months and 11 months. And I was looking forward to my one year. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but you came back and you had to deal with your grandmother dying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, um, I'm wearing her ring right now. I see. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Sorry, your listeners can't see it. <laughs> yeah. What is what rock is that? I actually don't know. 
Um, it's kind of like uh, purplish pink, right? Yes. Yeah, my mom thought maybe it was like a sapphire or, or I yeah, don't know. And it's shaped in like there's three pieces together. I love it a lot, but yeah, it's um, beautiful. Yeah. She was, yeah, she was, she was, um, she had been, you know, on that transition for a little while. And so we knew that she was going to be leaving the earth plane soon. Of course, like she, so, she, and she's, I'm 32 years old. She passed, I was 31 and she'd been there my whole life. She babysat us when we were kids. You know, she was the, she was the everyday grandma. Um, so so you, I guys was were, just, you guys were close. Yeah. Yeah, we were. That's cool. We still That's are. Cool that <laughs> you still are. And it's cool that you got to share. Uh, she got to share your life and you got to share hers. That's really cool. You know what I was really grateful for when, when she was passing, it was like, and the last like few years of her life, I was super grateful that I got sober in time to spend time with her where I was recognizing just the value of being together because she was in her nineties. My grandma was not, I remember my grandma's 90th birthday and me and my three sisters were driving to my mom's house for my grandma's 90th birthday party. Um, we were all drinking. We'd all been drinking the night before. And we actually pulled over on the side of the road because we're all hung over. Somebody threw up. Somebody else had to go to the bathroom. And like this was this this drive was like 45 minutes. And we couldn't <laughs> make it. Isn't that ridiculous? We couldn't make right. it. <laughs> that's that's addiction right there. That's addiction. We couldn't make it 45 minutes without somebody puking, somebody needing the washroom, and like just all of us sort of just like trying to get through. And here we are going to my grandma's 90th birthday, which again, there's many moments that I look back on and go, Oh damn, I was hung over for that. I was, felt like oh, shit right. for that. but yeah, after, um, when she entered her nineties, it definitely was kind of like, okay, we, I have a long, uh, long, like the people in my family seem to live pretty long lives on my mom's side. And this, so this is my mom's mom. And so I thought, you know, she'd live to a very old age, but once you hit 90, it's like, okay, let's. That's an old age. That's an old age. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But guess how long she did live. How long? 97. Wow. Yeah. That's a full life. That's a big, big life. It is. Yeah. Beautiful. She had a beautiful life. And, um, but yeah, once, once she was like, you know, in her nineties, it was like, okay, let's actually like, let's enjoy these moments together because there's few and far between. And well, I'll tell you, um, you get to enjoy those moments and it's a blessing. And for me, it's something that I had to deal with. My grandmother paid me to leave my hometown when I was in my early twenties and then she died while I was in prison. So I never, I never got that. So cherish what you have, you know yes. what I mean? And that's to anybody out there, cherish yeah. what you have, because not, that's a gift that you got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, why did it take me to 
you know, to look at my grandma in her nineties before I was like, oh, I should pay attention and nurture this special relationship. Why did it take me that long? Like it, you know. Well, it, it did and you got to enjoy it. So you're really blessed. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're really blessed. It is, it's just awesome. And then with the way that you live your life, you get to continue that relationship, which, oh which is gosh. even cooler. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because not yeah, everybody I, even plugs into that part yeah. of life yeah. either. Yeah. The whole, the whole year when my, like I said, when I was working with Sheila and doing these sessions with her once a month for the healing and she was accessing the other side, um, she would have communication from my grandparents. So when my grandma was still alive, Sheila would tell me, Oh, your grandma's here like with us in the room, like in her spirit form. And I remember panicking. Cause I was like, what do you mean she's here? Cause she's, she's still alive. Like, so what do you mean she's here in spirit? Like I panicked. I'm going, are you telling me she's dead? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize. And Sheila goes, Oh no, no, no. She's probably just sleeping or something. Like she's just like, it was like, she, she can still be here in spirit form and not be completely passed away from earth and, and on the other side of the veil. Anyways, I, but I remember panicking and being confused and being like, are you telling me she's dead? Like, <laughs> right, right. Just saw her last week. What? What are you talking about? Um, but it was a beautiful gift. I got to interact with her in the spirit world. While, while she, she was still was, here. Yeah, while she was still here. It was amazing. It was, and yeah. <clears throat> you've gone through a lot for your age. You, you're going, you've really transitioned through a lot. It's pretty cool. It is really cool. <clears throat> so- the next part of this, I mean, we're going from a really good part, but you want to talk about depression too. Yeah. And I did a little bit there with, um, with the ayahuasca, um, you know, having to check that off the list. Have you been on antidepressants and, and, um, and that choice between booze and antidepressants, like I said, it was an easy one for me in the end. Um, Depression is not something from my personal experience. It wasn't something that was going to be cured by a pill. Um, it wasn't something that was going to be cured by excessive drinking. Um, and, but I will, I will say one thing is that when I first got diagnosed, when I first went to my doctor and got those pills, that was a life-saving day for me. Um, because I'd been privately struggling with my depression for many years. And I had, I always talk about this emotional scale and how I believe that guilt, shame, fear, these are lower emotional, um, states of being that, that bring us down and, and it's not where you're, it's not where you have to be. It's not where you're meant to be. I don't believe that this life was given to me so that I would suffer all the way through it. Um, I'll tell you that now, but if you asked me 10 years ago, my answer would have been the complete opposite. I thought this life was given to me so that I could suffer through it. And well, you were miserable. I was miserable. And this was still in your addiction. Too. Yeah, this was, um, 
you know, this was even before I was as dependent as alcohol as I was when, um, when I started to pursue sobriety, right? Like it's a gradual scale. And by, I would say like North of age 25 is when alcohol really started to be like the best friend. Um, and I wasn't hiding that anymore per se. It was like, it was pretty obvious that I would choose that over anything else. Um, but when, you know, when you're surrounded by people who are also making that choice, it's, it's not as if there's anyone to reach out to help you because you're, you're all doing it. You're all reaching for booze first. That's what I call the matrix. Yeah. 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 There's a huge, um, selfishness in that. Um, it's like, I'm hurting, you're hurting, you know, everybody at this table in this bar is hurting. And, um, and I'm just talking about myself and, and, uh, the people that I tend to gravitate towards. Right. I'm, I'm sure well, you worked people- in a bar. You, you see the people that came in and out on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of pain in those bars. Yeah. And I lived in inside of and out of those bars for years too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, hiding my pain, masking my pain as well. Yeah. 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 It's tough. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting, a, I'm starting to feel a little bit emotional now. Um, just going back, you know, talking about the person that I used to be when I was 22. I can't believe that was 10 years ago, but it was. <laughs> and <laughs> And yeah, I, I really thought that I was supposed to suffer. I, was, I didn't think I was supposed to be happy. I had a lot of secrets. And the secrets were really hurting me um, mentally, emotionally. I dropped out of school after one year of university um, because I couldn't, I couldn't function um, the way that, the way that I had been, I, I always was a good learner and I was smart and excited to be in a classroom. But by age 21, when I was going to university, there was so many monsters in my head and on my heart that I couldn't learn. I couldn't excel the way that I wanted to. And so it seemed like giving up that, that course was, um, it seemed like that was my only option because the suffering was so, so heavy. It was like, you know, your cognitive functions start to not work anymore. And so like really simple things, you know, like getting out of bed in the morning, And getting to class was like, it seems like a mountain that you have to climb. Um, And, and I, there were so many days that I just thought I can't climb this mountain. Just not today. I can't do it today. And I would sleep in or I'd be looking at the bus schedule and I'd be like, okay, I'll get this bus. And then time would pass and I, and I'd go, okay, so I'll get the next bus. And I just kind of be in my head. It was, you know, yeah. 
anybody that has experienced depression in any way, they know exactly what I'm talking about, where taking a shower is success. Um, making food for yourself is success. Um, having a conversation with somebody is success. And all the other times in between are just, you're just existing. You're just like holding it together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been there. My manic episodes when I get through them at the end, because when I act out, it throws me into depression when it's done. Once I get my senses back, um, where I, it's even hard to move, you know, it's just such a struggle. Yeah. And, and I can't imagine living like that full time. And was that how you were living full time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in great denial about it though. I was really, I was a really good actress. <laughs> I was acting for myself. I was acting for my family. I was acting for my friends. I was acting for my customers at the restaurant. It was a big act. And I thought as long as I'm fooling all of you, then I can fool myself a little bit more too. And that's great. And, and if I'm not meant to be happy, like, like, you know, there was just a lot of days in the row where I felt like if you don't kill yourself today, then good job. So you were actually thinking suicide in these moments too. I was thinking it. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, I never acted on it. I never, you know, I never had, because I, all, all <laughs> I had judgment about that also. It was like, my self judgment was like, well, I could, I could fantasize, I could fantasize about leaving the world. And that offered me some solace and like just moments of brief respite from the pain and the suffering that I was living in. Um, but I wouldn't allow myself to think so much that I would even, yeah, that I would have a plan or I would walk, you know what? Okay. So I would in high school, there was a road that I crossed to get home and walking home every day from high school. I just remember a few different times and this thought would catch me by surprise, but I would walk home from high school and there was a four lane road that you walked across, like not at the, we wouldn't walk across at the lights because it wasn't too busy. And so you could stop in the middle on the median and then get to the other side. But I remember walking across that road and I'd be looking at it from the sidewalk and just, I would just allow myself that brief moment of imagining what if I stepped into the road and a car hit me and that was it. And that to me that was like a moment of relief. Just that thought in my mind was good. That felt good to me. And so that's what a really that scary place to be. That's a scary place. Yeah. I'm my body right now. My body right now. Drifter is very like, I don't know. It's feeling, it's feeling very protective <laughs> because when I talk about it, like I'm back there. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, when I talk about it, I'm back there. So. So you went through high school with this and then um, you went all the way, you got help at this around what, 22 years old? Yeah. So you dealt with this a lot of years, pretending that you were okay when you were just, and then at 16 is when you were drinking too, and that kind of helped relieve. Yeah. Uh, you use that to medicate through this depression. Exactly. Yeah. And there was, um, there was some level of awareness that that's what I was doing. And then there was a whole other part of me that, that had no idea, right? Because booze is so widely accepted in our society, um, at least, you know, where I live here in Ontario, like in Canada, um, the high school that I went to, like everybody drank. And like I said, like the family that I was raised in, like everybody drank. And so it was, it seemed like this natural thing to do, especially before you were the legal age of 19. That was, um, yeah, it was like kind of a no brain. It was just like, where do we get the booze from? That's the only question. The question isn't, are we going to drink it? It's where do we get it from? Right. And, and whose house are we going to drink it at? Like that's yeah. And so, yeah, my, um, I mentioned earlier, like my father's an alcoholic. Um, he pursued sobriety really ironically, the age when I was 16, he began his sobriety. And so I began drinking and he began quitting drinking. <laughs> that is kind of ironically, huh? Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. He, he admitted to us that he had a problem and that was before I knew really what he was saying. Um, now I look back, I'm 32 years old and I look back on that time and I understand now what he was saying when he said to us, I have a problem, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to go um, to some meetings and you might not see me for a little while. And we didn't see him for a little while. He had a lot of stuff to do on himself. He had a lot of healing to look at. Um, he was divorcing from my mom or already divorced from my mom. Um, but it, yeah, he was, he was admitting that he had a problem and wanting to work through it. Um, and I was just starting. Well, this was, was your new medication. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Dad quit. I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Type attitude. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't even know if you thought about it. Did you think about it? Oh, he's quitting and I'm starting. I remember him asking me and my sisters, we were driving in the car and he had picked us up from my mom's house to take us to his place, like 20 minutes away. And I remember being in the car and he just kind of blurted it out. And he said, cause he was facing his alcoholism and he'd clearly done, now I look back, he'd clearly done some kind of reading about it and, and it, and that admitting to himself that he had a problem. And he asked us, have you guys ever drank alcohol? And I'm 16, my sister's 14, my other sister's 18, somewhere around there, right? 
we're two, we're all two years apart. And the oldest had already moved out. So there's three of us in the car. And he's like, have you guys ever drank alcohol? And we're kind of looking at each other because we all know that we've all tried and drank alcohol and we probably all got drunk last weekend. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But I, and yeah, I did. And I just remember answering, I think I'm pretty sure we lied to him because we did lie. To him. <laughs> that, was, that was what we did. And, and in my family, it was seemed like the truth was just not something that I was used to sharing. I wasn't used to sharing the truth. Um, I was used to like protecting myself and other people that I loved was a lie. It seemed like the safer way to be. Um, I do not live by that philosophy anymore at all. I believe that the authentic truth is. um, Yeah. You're definitely not the same person as that 16 year old kid. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, since you were talking about the depression, I I just want to find out, um, because now you're not even on drugs or nothing and that depression isn't there. Right. So I would like to just how you mentioned that too, because let's flip the other side of the coin when we come back. So other people know you don't have to be stuck there. Right. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> 